0: This is another episode of Connecting the Dots podcast. I'm Skip Stewart, Vice President and Chief Improvement Officer with Baptist Memorial Healthcare.
1: Hey everybody, I'm H. F. Mason. I'm a General Surgeon and Chief Medical Officer at Baptist Memorial
2: Hospital, DeSoto. And hey everyone, I'm Jake Lancaster. I'm an internal medicine physician and the Chief Medical Information Officer for the Baptist system.
0: Well, we are so honored and fortunate to have a really good friend, Tom Weeks. uh, He is with the Arbinger Institute, but for those that are not familiar with the Arbinger Institute, Tom, would you tell us a little bit about yourself, your background and the Arbinger Institute?
3: Yeah, I think I'd love to Uh, and honored and grateful for the opportunity to be here uh, on the podcast today. Um, So, again, my name is Tom weeks. I've been with Arbinger for about 5, just over 5 years. Actually, Um, I was on the client side for about 6 or 7 before that, which means. Um, I, I was leveraging the material, uh, in and the work that I was doing, uh, as a, as a manager leader and executive leader, um, my background is in, is in engineering and software engineering specifically. Um, uh, so I've, I've been around the, the, uh, th- this material and these ideas for, for a little while, uh, for a little over a decade, um, Arbinger itself has actually been around for about 45 years, um, as an, as an organization. Uh, now the 1st. Gosh, about half of that, about 15 to 20 years of that. Um, Actually, uh, it was primarily uh, an institution and organization that was uh, in support of uh, individuals and families in an intervention space. So, counseling, therapy, um, helping out uh, in in those ways. Um, We we might get into a conversation about some of our books, but the books, um, a couple of our books, Leadership and Self Deception, Anatomy of Peace, those are, while they're fictionalized uh, versions, they're, they're fictionalized versions of actual events that happened. And they're the story of how we came to actually uh, to be in the organizational space. Uh, so, some uh, leaders brought uh, some family through some organizations and services that we were a part of. And and that spun into uh, some organizational work with those organizational leaders. And, and And here we are today for about the last, I would say, really in earnest about the last 25 years, we've been uh, seeking to be helpful in, in an organizational context. Um, I think one thing th- that's interesting to understand about Arbinger itself is that we actually, where we come from is from the philosophical space. So our, our founder and our founders were actually uh, uh, academics. They were philosophy professors and uh, they stumbled upon these ideas that we'll discuss uh, today. And, and w- we're trying to find a way to make them useful and helpful for people Um, Academics, trying to trying to turn it into uh, a non academic helpfulness, and uh, and that's kind of where we, where uh, we land uh, today with with the Arbinger Institute. So we, we have uh, over 20 global offices um, and, uh, again, a global, global footprint, um, trying to get these ideas uh, into organizations and and, uh, individuals and families homes. In a way that's helpful
1: for them. Tom, uh, once again, thank you for being here and I, I have to tell this story and, and, and skip is uh, he's aware of it. I, w- I was introduced to Arbinger probably 2 years ago when we we have what we call Baptist amb- ambassadors and, and I was an ambassador and it was a brand new thing and. And skip sent out this reading list of, of books that we're supposed to read and. um. Reba, I was at another hospital. Reba, the uh, assistant, I said, I said, Reba, would you mind ordering these books for me? And they came in, and one was, I don't know where she ordered it from, but it was leadership and self-deception. But it it was a an, um, it was a copy for people who can't see well. So it, I mean, it was about huh. <laughs> sixteen or eighteen inches tall, and the print was giant. <laughs> And I was, I said, gosh, was this a self published book or something? I, it didn't, it did, really didn't look professional. Yeah. And I said, well, I, I've got to read it. And man, I started reading it. And, you know, maybe halfway through it, or when I finished it, I text, uh, I text, Skip, I said, this book has really messed me up <laughs> and uh, it, it, Jake, I don't know if you read it. And for our readers out there, leadership and self deception and the outward mindset, you really have to read it because it it changed the way i thought about thought about things and it really made me focus that how often and and we'll talk about what it means to be in the box with somebody or out of the box but uh it, it made me realize how how a lot of my day-to-day interactions with not only on a professional level but on a personal level or i, I operate from within the box but anyway thank thank you for coming and 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 having said that tell us Tell us a little bit about that book and, and, in in a nutshell, what it means to be in the box.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Someone. And I, well, yeah, and I'll, I'll, I mean, to, to kind of um, piggyback off of your, you know, your story here too. What I will say is that uh, many people, when they're recommended to read this book, their first reaction is, oh, oh, shoot. Why did the, why did so-and-so recommend I read this book? Because it really does. It exposes, um, it exposes. Uh, you know, me, exposes ourselves to uh, to, to some potential problems in, in ways that, you know, we've been interacting and in connection with others and in ways that we'd never even considered or thought of, right? So it can be a little bit of a shock to the system, um, which is why we find it to be sticky. It actually, it stays with people, um, you know, for, for a long time, the ideas. Um, in terms of, you know, kind of the fundamental idea or ideas at the heart of the book, it is, it's, this, it's about this dichotomy about seeing people as people or not seeing people as people uh, we call that uh, being inward so being inward is not seeing other people's people it's 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 this perspective or this orientation of seeing people because they aren't quite people like us we're not alive to their needs their objectives really what they're trying to accomplish and so in a way we turn them into objects and and objects in one of three ways they can either become vehicles for us and we love vehicles vehicles are people that that uh, it almost doesn't matter what we throw at them or put on their plate, they get it done. You know, they're they're super they're super helpful and they 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 help you know drive things in organizations. But when we see them as just that, just as a vehicle, um, and turn them into that object, it actually causes all sorts of problems. Um, you know, for for them and for us and for for the team and the organization. So that's one way we can see somebody as an object. Another way we can see people as an object is as an obstacle. Then. Right, So this is somebody who uh, it, it, it seemingly doesn't matter what we give them, it, it never gets done or it's never done to our liking and, and they are constantly in our way. And, and this is a little bit more of an obvious way, I think, that people connect and say, well, yeah, I can't see how that I maybe objectify them in this way. Um, uh, but then a, a third way that we can uh, objectify people is, is by seeing them as an irrelevancy. They're not helping us necessarily. They're not hurting us. They're just irrelevant. And what's interesting is I would say that very often it's those that see themselves or, or, or are sensed as being seen as irrelevancy in organizations that are that some, in some ways are the most dangerous element a you know kind of personal element of an organization because it's these people that just kind of seemingly throw bombs out of nowhere and it's out of this desire to be seen (laughs) they don't want to be nobody wants to be irrelevant right and so they'll do things that seem just like surprising and out of character um and, and very often it comes from this place where they're just not being seen and they want to be seen in some way so again uh, not seeing people's people, seeing them as objects, and then what flows from that causes all sorts of problems, and not just for the individual who's being seen as an object, it causes problems for us, it causes problems for our teams, and and obviously those flow to the organizational level. So that's one side of the dichotomy. The other side of the dichotomy then is seeing people as people, that they matter the way I matter, and and we call this being outward, and, and it's kind of typified by the idea that um, because they matter, uh, the things that they're trying to accomplish matter to them just as much as the things that I'm trying to accomplish matter to me. So in, in that connection and, and in that relationship, then, how can I shape what I do in the most helpful way possible? So that the things that I'm delivering in their direction, it makes their job easier. It makes their life easier. It makes it them more capable of trying to deliver on what they need to deliver on because I'm part of of the equation for them, not in spite of it, which is what very often being inward does is it's and, and not even necessarily because we're meaning to, right? Like we don't mean to get in a place where we're being unhelpful, but we're just so locked into what our tasks are and what we're trying to accomplish that we're not alive to the fact that actually when we deliver, it may not be the most helpful way to deliver those things to those people around us. And so it's really about being alive to that, not just what we're doing, but the impact of what we're doing and the impact that that has on uh, those around us, their ability to get their work, their jobs, their tasks done as well. So that's really at the heart of it. And then, you know, there there are a lot of ideas packed in here about how we go inward, how we stay inward, um, how we get to a place where that inwardness just becomes a part of our natural gate, right? Like, that's just how we that's how we interact with the world generally um how that happens so we expose those in our books and in our programs um and then you know thank goodness and and hopefully we also offer ways to get out of that right so so how do you then pull yourself out of this inward space um how do you recognize it and how do you get to a place where you can can actually be more uh helpful to those around you
2: now that, that that's really neat and i really like the beginning when you're talking about uh Arbinger, you know, being founded on uh, philosophical principles. I was I was a physics major in college, not engineering like you, but I mm-hmm. um I loved philosophy courses. I almost got a minor in it. I took a lot. Yeah. So, you know, if we had a, a different if skip, you know, let me have my way, I might you know open up a lot <laughs> and ask you a lot about existentialism is probably one of my favorite courses. <laughs> but um, <laughs>
3: Well, sadly, I'm not the <laughs> philosophical expert. <laughs> I, yeah, I am, I, 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 I'm fascinated by philosophy, yeah. but I, I, we couldn't speak <laughs> oh, to it I with figured, any level of expertise. Expertise.
2: I figured, you know, most engineers and most physicists that I, I knew in college also liked philosophy. It was, yeah, it was very strange, but I guess yeah. that's why you're drawn to it, at least. Yeah. But yeah. you know, you're talking about the the inward mindset and the outward mindset, and, and on your website, you know, I was looking through in preparation for this. You talk about how the inward mindset. Or it was more driven by you know checking boxes and and kind of uh, you know making sure the results happened, whereas the outward mindset also connected more to the maybe the alignment of the mission of the organization that you're working with. Did I get that wrong, or is that part of y'all's philosophy and, and approach?
3: Yeah, I would say it's I would say it's the level of results. It's it's the perspective of of where you're looking. I, I would say the outward mindset is actually more connected to results than inward mindset is. But it's broadly, it's generally right. It's it's really. Um, what are we trying to accomplish here? It's not just about my own efforts. Inward mindset is it's very much. I mean, it is results t- in a way, but it's it's only my thing. What you know, look, I've got this. I'm trying to accomplish, and that's all I'm plugged into. It's all I'm clued into. So,
1: yeah, and, and uh, I love the way in in the uh, the outward mindset in the book. You you have your triangle, and at the base of your triangle, you have you know the mindset. Or I guess could you you could equate mindset with culture, I guess, of an organization. And then you have your behaviors, and then you have your targeted results at top. And is what a lot of organizations yeah. do. They try to change those behaviors without having the foundation of, of the culture or the mindset. And, you know, it seems like, you know, Arbinger figured this out a long, long time ago. and And, you know, industry... <laughs> and organizations are finding this out now and just like peter drucker said you know culture eats strategy for lunch and, and you mm-hmm. can have all the all the greatest strategies and all the greatest tools but if you don't have that base uh of an of an outward mindset culture it's just it's, it's a house of cards and it's gonna it's gonna fall
3: yeah I, it's it's interesting so i i i think one thing that we that we feel at least what we see with clients is that we feel like mind this mindset is actually deeper than culture. It's a little bit more fundamental. And it's it's so intimately tied. But what we see with our clients is you can have all sorts of cultures that ride on an inward versus an outward mindset. Um and what that culture then invites is, I think, very often driven by, um, by that uh that mindset. But yes, no, I that this uh again, that that pyramid that you're talking about. What we find is that most organizations, again, they, when they're trying to make some sort of result change, right, they're trying to have some sort of newer, higher, better thing they're trying to accomplish, um, they establish what the needed uh, behaviors are going to be for that, and then they try to push those behaviors in alignment. And that's not wrong, right? Like uh, behaviors are critically important. It is actually what drives results. The problem is, is if you haven't, Uh, accordingly shifted the mindset with that, what you see is every time a snapback to previous state because behaviors always tie to mindset. It's almost like this bungee cord, right, between mindset and behaviors. And so the, the harder you push against the behaviors without moving that mindset, there's more tension, there's more stress. People see it, they feel it. And then it just it brings that snap back and things come right back. So what we what we tend to see and what we drive with our clients is if you'll if you'll consider mindset, treat mindset first, the behaviors come into natural alignment with those results that you want. And so that's what we shift. We shift mindset first. It naturally brings um, results along with it. And one thing that I would say is and this is kind of implicit in the books, you you know, as you read it. What actually starts to happen is all sorts of behaviors that you actually never conceived that would be helpful in achieving those results come right like they naturally come, and, but you never would have planned for it right like there's a story there's a story right up front in outward mindset about um, a SWAT team uh, that they they break into a home where there's some you know there's some bad guys in the home and and uh, and they they take care of that they take care of that situation but as they're breaking into the home. Um, there is in the front room, there, are there are a bunch of mothers with their children and, um, it's just chaos. It's terrifying for them, right? You've got these moms with their children and it, you know, there's a lot of screaming and crying and, and, you know, first, first job was to take care of the bad guys. They, they take care of the bad guys, but then, um, you know, the, the, the leader of the SWAT team, he finds his number two, his, his, you know, con, his number two in command in the kitchen shortly thereafter making baby bottles and, um and he's asked, you know he asked like why why are you making baby bottles he said well we you know we took care of the threat um the biggest it seems to be the biggest issue we have right now is just the, is the chaos and the terror in the front room so i thought it might be helpful if i made some baby bottles to to help soothe the children and and get that to a better spot well you know you never i don't think ever any swat training you know facility or you know a group out there ever would say okay after you break down doors Go and look and see if there's some baby bottles to make for the babies that might be in the house, right? Never. That's never a planned behavior. But it was a natural outcome of seeing the needs of the situation and delivering to those needs. So that's what happens is you start to see really surprising behaviors you never would have thought of that start to come into play when you treat mindset first.
1: It, it, it's that's so true. And, and it, it changes the way you you look at people. I mean, you know, you, you see their needs. You see their Their objectives and you and you see their challenges and and it totally, you know, it, it, uh, it's really, really simple. Mm -hmm. Not not to not to oversimplify it, but I mean, it, it really is almost like the golden rule, you know. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you and but it's, it's simple yet. It's so it's not easy. uh, right It's (laughs) not easy. That's right. That's That's right. right.
2: And, and so, you know, we've talked a lot about culture and the difficulties that organizations have with changing culture. Um, and that's, you know, a lot of times that leads to failed initiatives. You know, how is the, how easy is it to change mindset?
1: Mm.
3: Yeah, it's, I mean, it's a process, right? We, we are not a one and done, you know, training, like, hey, we'll come in train and, and you're done. It's, it is a process. In fact, we see it in three steps, uh, the, the first step we we call outward mindset introduction. It's it's laying the it's getting the language out there. It's getting the frameworks out there. Getting them out as as, as broadly frankly as you can. But um, step two is is outward leadership. And if you have to start somewhere, what we say is just start with leadership. Like that is the key piece is to get leaders um thinking in this way seeing in this way operating in this way so after the you know the, the step one of getting the language of the frameworks down it's it's appropriately supporting leaders um, and that that can be a longer term process we, we offer coaching and 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 we have a perspective around that you know but that can take a little a, a little bit of time but as you do that as you bring as the leader shift um uh everything shifts uh we, we've you know, one of the studies that we've that we've done, uh, it looked at. There were three study groups as part of this, and it was actually in a healthcare context. Um, this was with the, in, a, in a partnership with some researchers at Cornell University, looking at some um, uh, some uh, medical facilities within Army Medicine. And they did uh, they had, they had three groups. So they had a group where they trained leaders and staff. They had another group where they just trained leaders, and then they had a group uh, where they it was a control group. They didn't train anybody. And then they measured over the course of months and years, like what was the effect of that? And what they found was that there was, you know, great for us, nice nice to get this, this uh, data. There was a significant lift in all sorts of positive metrics between the untrained group and the fully trained group. What they didn't necessarily expect to see and what they found was that at actually in the group that only trained the leaders, there was still a, a really large lift. And in fact, they, they ended up calling it the Arbinger contagion effect. And what they saw was that, as uh, as they trained, even just the leaders, that mindset actually floated down into lower levels of the organization, and it created again these positive, these uh, st- statistically significant positive effects um, in all sorts of areas. And and so, um, yeah, I mean, it's you know to answer your question, uh, it's no, it's not easy, and it, it's a process. Um, but what's interesting is that. And I think it's our strength because we come from this philosophical space. Actually, the experience is I, I, I the 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 core training um, I liken it to, or I call it, it's like it's almost like a philosophical inquiry exercise. You're led along a series of arguments, and I would say, you know, at it, it, the I, so for a number of years I trained um, engineers, and for a portion of that time I trained military engineers, pretty skeptical people, um, pretty you know, pretty uh sometimes difficult to to get them convinced of things and um we'd walk in the room we usually training about 30 people and uh, you know almost all of them you would usually walk in the room arms crossed you know kind of brow furrowed like yeah try to convince me and by the end of two days um all usually everybody but if you know maybe there would be one or two that were still kind of in that in that spot but but uh almost everybody by the end of those two days would be engaged in the work, asking questions, seeing connections, and in in everybody everybody has this this aha moment where they see like not only this you know dichotomy that we talked about a few minutes ago, not only does it exist, um, it has real impact, and and so often we are all on the wrong side of it in ways that we just had never supposed, had never thought of. Um, when I when I was going through some of my initial training around this, I asked. Um, an individual who had, had been part of the founding of Arbinger, like, well, what does success around this look like? You know, what does that mean uh, individually as a team? And, and, and he said, well, I, I, I can't tell you exactly it's, this is, it's a lifelong process. He said, well, I'll tell you what my mentor told me who was in this, his mentor was the founder of Arbinger and, and really the discoverer, you know, unearther of these ideas. He said, I feel like if I'm outward 50% of the time, I'm doing phenomenally well. Doing mm-hmm. really, really well, and things are going very, very well. So, you know, it's it's it, it is a process, and it takes time, but it's really just about improvement. It's about can you can we can I be more outward today? Can I be more connected and alive to the needs, challenges, and objectives of those around me today than I was yesterday? Great. Let's let's we're we're going to get more done. We're going to
1: be more effective. We're going to have better results because of that. I was gonna. As we, as we were talking about leadership, I want to get your, your thoughts on this, um, you know, when we look at Fortune 500 companies or Fortune 100 companies. You know, the CEOs of these companies, a lot of those guys have moved around Mm -hmm. to among many of these companies with, but. With moved to companies that in a totally different sector. And you would say, well, how can a CEO in the automotive industry, how can he all of a sudden become the CEO of a computer company, for example? I, I guess that just lets us know how important those leadership skills are. And and in your opinion, are they are they even more important if you're going to lead a big organization? Are those skills more important than knowing the nuts and bolts? Ins and outs of that particular sector that you're working in. Does that make yeah, sense? Does that question? Yeah, it, it, yeah, it, it does make sense. And I think 100% I,
3: I think it is. It's, you know, I think at that level, it's, it's so much more about your ability to connect to communicate uh, to strategically innovate. Right. And so, so um, I think those skills are, are much uh, more transferable at that level. I, I, and I'm thinking, so there's an individual I know who is a, I mean, frankly. One of the one of the most phenomenal technical leaders I've ever encountered, and, and he's had an amazing career. Has managed, uh, you know, massive technical organizations, and um, and I know him, you know, fairly personally. And uh, what's interesting to me is that when I first met him, um, and I was getting to know him a little bit and asking him some questions about himself, what became really clear is that actually, when so his first VP job. Um, you know, first vice president job, he was the least technical person um, of the the group that he was called to manage. Um, But what he brought to it was an amazing ability to connect with people, to understand their needs, and to think strategically around what they as a group could deliver and what the organization needed, most needed out of that skill set. And so, yeah, I think it's highly transferable. And I, I, yeah, it's not I think it's not much of a surprise to see that, you know, as it, as it is at lower levels of the organization, maybe, or maybe mid-levels of the organization, where, tri- where that, that organizational tribal knowledge is a little bit more important. I think the higher you go, that strategic uh, view, the ability to connect and communicate uh, is, I,
2: feels like the more important uh, aspects of leadership. And, and so talking about the outward mindsets and you talked about training the the leadership team and, and the importance of it, and also on the, on your website, you mentioned that, you know, the organization cannot change until the people change. Mm-hmm. Um, can you talk about how important, I guess, hiring and, and orienting and onboarding the right people can be to, you know, I guess, sustaining, you know, this yeah. culture of an outward mindset?
3: Yeah, I, I you know, it's, uh, we actually, so our our um, kind of performance management view, uh, we I, we feel like we bring a unique perspective to that, and the perspective is that w- most organizations are really looking at two metrics, largely two two buckets of metrics when they're looking at performance management. They're looking at how capable is a person, and um, how hard do they work, right? Like, what's what's the the, the capability level and the effort level? And, um, we feel like that's missing a massive piece of the equation. It's the impact what what's the impact that they're having and 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 to shorten kind of the idea, it's you know, is is my team's job is everybody else on my team? is their job easier because I've joined the team or in spite of the fact that I'm that I'm on the team, right? And so our and our view is actually, um we have a whole scoring kind of a rating performance rating system around this or performance excuse me not performance rating performance management um perspective around this and our view is actually uh there's only one metric that is that's problematic okay effort okay if you're not putting in the effort like you can put in more effort there and we can coach around that um uh capability uh we actually feel like even if you're having a negative impact we can we can get you to a positive impact. The only thing that's, that's really, truly scary is just overall capability. Like, if you are if you are incapable of doing a job, well, then you can't be in that job. But everything else we feel like you can lift. So what that means that this is kind of a longer answer to your, to your question, but um, what that means to me then is, is you're onboarding people. The most important thing from a culture perspective, from a performance perspective is. Well, yes, if they, if you can hire people and and ensure that they're coming in and they're naturally more outward, that's phenomenal. But what we feel like more important actually is people um understanding it's a default expectation in the organization that we're going to work this way, that we're going to be outward. And if they at least if if they at least understand that, you can move them in the right direction. You really can. Um and and what this the other aspect that speaks to me uh, speaks uh uh, to, to me about is this idea of, um, do we just have to, you know, come into a a situation organization? Do I just have to cut and burn people, right? Like they're just, they just don't work here. They just don't work there. I actually don't feel that way. Um, my, my feeling is, and I've seen this over and over and over. I had a situation with my, my older brother, who's, uh, He's a fractional CFO, so he goes in and he, he helps a bunch of different companies with their with the finance element of their organizations. and And he was involved in in one uh, acquisition, and there was an individual at the heart of that that was really problematic. And he called me. He's like, "Okay, this is your stuff. I think this is a perfect application. Coach me through this." And what was remarkable is over six months, he said, "This this individual turned from the most problematic." Uh, individual in the organization to the most helpful person in the organization mm-hmm. their tribal knowledge was critically important what, what need to be uh, unlocked was this level of helpfulness a desire for helpfulness and once that was done um, it was it was a, a massive change so um, yeah I, look it, the right having the right people is so critically important but our view is you can help people be more helpful now if they choose like if you lay all this out and they're like I, I refuse to work I've refused to be outward. Well then that's a that's a further invitation they can't be part of the organization. If they are incapable or unwilling to be maximally yeah, helpful,
1: they just can't be part, right? Yeah, exactly. And and that's one thing that's very encouraging and for our listeners out there and and you know we do have a lot of physicians out there who who just say, "Hey, I'm just a doctor, I'm no leader." Uh and and you know, some people are born natural leaders, just like some people are born natural athletes, but you know, I used to think that you know leaders are born; they're not made, but but that's not true. I mean, you can. These are skills that you can learn and you can acquire. Sure, they come a lot a lot easier to to, to some folks than they do others, but uh, you know, it, it, it's a skill just like anything else to be learned. And uh, and these books really have helped me for sure. Yeah.
3: It is, and I would say one thing that's a hopeful message. I feel like it's hopefully hopefully a hopeful message from Arbinger is I think a lot of people connect leadership skills to um to extroversion, right? Outgoing and, and whatnot. And I think, you know, there are people that are more that are more naturally that and and, and come to that more naturally um and easily. But what I would say is from our I, at least from my perspective, um, and I, I think it's Arbinger's perspective, I don't know, but a more essential skill is is it is the the desire willingness and ability to see what other people are trying to accomplish and sit in service of that so and, and what that means for me is look I come from an area of uh, engineering if you've got a lot of introverts right a lot of introverts but a lot of phenomenal leaders who are still introverts right like mm-hmm. the, the the your standard kind of normal skills that are out there are not it's not like uh, well you, you don't have you, you don't like to talk in front of people sorry you can't be a leader no that's not the case being a leader is about being maximally helpful and in service to those that that report to you that's that's the that's the key skill and anybody can learn that in fact i would say introverts are probably better at that than extroverts frankly so um it's hopeful i think
0: well tom this has been really good let me ask one more question and then we'll kind of bring uh, the podcast to a close you know I liked what you said earlier about uh, about uh, behaviors and you know behaviors are they're really artifacts of a culture they're they're what I observe they're what I see and uh even even though you didn't use the word uh, tacit really you know those mindsets are those tacit unspoken of how do you think about or how does the arbinger think about um, the mindset in relation to relationships. So, in other words, you see where I'm going with that a little bit? So, we build mindsets in individuals, but how does Arbinger also think about those mindsets thriving and manifesting mm. themselves as leaders create relationships vertically and horizontally?
2: Mm.
3: Okay. Yeah. So, I, I, I mean, I, I think, I hope this answers your question. I, I think. One of the, um, the only way to really be, I think, in real relationship with somebody is to be outward, is to see their needs um, and their challenges, their objectives. As you do that, that connection uh, deepens, it, it, you know, enrichens. Um, but the other thing it does is it actually, the more outward we're towards uh, another person, the, the better, the, the bigger or better invitation they have than to be outward with us and those around them. And so, so it naturally builds, right? Like these relationships is, is if we stay inward, if we stay closed off from the needs and and objectives of others, um, we are necessarily closing off uh, that, that relationship, that relationship, but then actually the cascade of relationships behind that as well. But as we open, it's actually the only way, um, you know, one of the big questions we get is, well, how do I make, how do I turn somebody else outward? We say, well, There's actually only 1 way to start that process, and that's for you to be outward. That's that's the other person's only invitation to be outward is our outwardness towards them. Does that answer? Answer your question. No, it
0: really does because then you can see the progression that as those relationships are formed and as the correct mindsets are formed, then we hope that the correct behaviors will then be manifested. And out of the correct behaviors, we would argue the correct results will will come. Well, Tom, it's been awesome. I can't believe we went 30 minutes that fast, but thank you so much. You've been such a a kind friend to Baptist Memorial Healthcare and to myself, and we're just so incredibly thankful for you and the work that is being done at the Arbinger Institute. So on behalf of Baptist, on behalf of myself and our team, thank you so much for being on the podcast today.
3: No, thank you. What a pleasure and and uh, and a joy, honestly. And and you know, this has not been uh, an easy year for I think anybody who's working in healthcare. And I so I, look, I'll just I'll, I'll give you my thanks um, for for everything that you all are doing uh, in the midst of uh, an incredibly difficult time over the course of the last year, year and a half. And um, you know, ho- hopefully, we can just be helpful to those that are that are doing the real work out there. So thank
0: you for for letting me be, be part of this today. Thank, thank you, you so much. Thank you, Tom. Enjoyed it.